we uh, also want to welcome those that are watching online today. This is um, our second week of streaming. I appreciate Ron uh, filling in for me at sh very short notice last week. And uh, we're all healthy and uh, back again. Uh, but glad to have our, those online joining in. And uh, we have been having problems online with the uh, volume. And so uh, you may have to turn that up, turn that down. And uh, we're looking at getting some new equipment that'll smooth that out for us uh, before very long at all. So we're very close to getting what we want there. So, oh, I, I, I do want to remind people, uh, Wednesday we have, uh, again, the summer series continues here at Lawson Road uh, with uh, North Greece Road. We'll be coming over here again this week, and uh, Brother Robinson will be, uh, that's not right, Brother Jones will be, where'd they come from, will be uh, speaking, and, uh, and, and then uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is uh, worship in the park this week. As Ron mentioned, we are catering, and so what I would like, this is without consulting really anyone else, but uh, what I would like us to do is bring along a canned, a can of food. Okay. And uh, since you're not bringing food, uh, preparing food to, to eat because it's catered, we'd love for everybody to bring a can of food. And uh, we will donate that to the food shelf um, next, next week. And so it's a great opportunity with a lot of people coming together uh, just to uh, bring that along. We'll have a box, big box or something, maybe a tower, make a tower. Um, and um, we'll, we'll collect that and pass it on to the food shelf. So uh, uh, please try to remember that, and I will send out um, emails as reminders for, for that. We will let you in without it, though, okay? Or if a friend wants to come and you haven't told them about the can of food, we'll let them come in also. So, um, but please do uh, share the invitation, invite folks along, and uh, let's make next week uh, a great time of fellowship and encouragement. All right, so since June, we have been uh, talking about faith. And uh, from, from several different perspectives, we, you know, we looked at it just as a, a word. What does it mean? We've, we spent a couple of weeks looking at the life of Joseph and how faith played out in his life. And uh, we started uh, looking at the life of Moses. And, uh, and we continue that today. But I want to go back to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. And this verse has really been uh, the definition that we have used uh, throughout this series uh, to, uh, to guide us in understanding it. It's not you know, the final answer of, of everything. Your faith is a big topic. But it, it gives us a good lens to, uh, to think about this. And so this is... Uh, where I want us to spend our time today. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. And it is assurance, or uh, some translations say certainty, of what we do not see. Okay? Faith is confidence of what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. And so I want to take this uh, definition, this statement today, 
and apply it to the example of Moses, particularly in leading Israel out of Egypt. And uh, if you're not familiar with that story, uh, then go back and, and look up in your Bible, Exodus, and really it's chapters 5 through 15. Um, Exodus 5 through 15. And so we're not going to read all of that. We would have, but Charlton wasn't prepared this morning. Um, but uh, you can do that in your, your own time. So the question that I want to begin with, because uh, I don't want to go through and just tell the story. Okay, so I sort of presume that we, we're familiar with the basic story of the people of Israel are slaves in Egypt. Moses comes back on a mission from God and demands that Pharaoh let the people go. That God says it's time, it's been 400 years, it's time for you to go to the promised land. And so his, uh, Moses, though, or Pharaoh, doesn't want to let them go. And so there's a series of plagues and... Uh, that God sends, and over the however many weeks or months that these plagues uh, hit the Egyptians, uh, Pharaoh sort of says, yes, you can go, changes his mind, yes, no. Finally, when they're, uh, the firstborn of everyone in the land of Egypt dies, Pharaoh says, enough, off you go. Moses leads them out towards the promised land, but when they get to the Red Sea, Pharaoh changes his mind again, sends the army, God parts the sea. And the whole nation of Israel walks through the sea on dry land before the water crashes on the Egyptian army and uh, uh, ruins, that, uh, ruins the army. So that's the basic setting. And as Moses comes to Egypt, God has just talked to him and uh, told him that, he's, uh, that he has this job. And so we might ask ourselves, what did Moses confidently hope? If Moses is a man of faith, and faith is confidence in what we hope for, what does Moses confidently hope for? That's our first question to consider. And, and really, it's a difficult question to answer. Because when we think of what happened in the conversation between God and Moses at the burning bush, Moses really didn't have a lot of confidence. In fact, uh, God had to convince him that, yes, I really want you. Yes, you can do this. Uh, no, I haven't made a mistake. And then in the end, uh, God actually sends Moses' older brother to come and meet him to give him more confidence, to, to help him out with this. And so at the outset, Moses doesn't have confident um, hope in anything. In fact, he's unconfident, or whatever the opposite of that is. He's fearful, he's uncertain. Um, let alone going and talking to Pharaoh. Pharaoh is one of the most powerful men in the world. Um, Egypt is one of the most powerful nations in the world. And um, his power is pretty much absolute. So to go in and, and talk to him is a risky 
business. I want you, though, to, uh, to look at these statements that Moses said, or these questions that Moses asked. Um, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? What am I going to say? You know, when the Israelites question, when the Israelites say, no, you're mistaken, you were smoking something, Moses. Okay? Burning bush. Um, what about, uh, and then he comes down and says, pardon your servant, Lord. Pardon your servant. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you've spoken to me ten minutes ago. That hasn't changed. Are you sure you got the right guy? Uh, and then a little bit later, pardon your servant again, Lord. Please send someone else. Um, then they finally go, we jump down to chapter 5, they finally go to uh, Egypt and they you know, talk to Pharaoh and he's like, no, and, and in fact, just because you asked, I'm going to make your job, make everybody have to work even harder. Okay? Um, and so, naturally, the Israelites aren't very happy with that. It was like, hey, Moses, sounded like a good idea, but we don't like the progress that's being made. And, and so Moses comes back to God and he says, why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Is that confident hope in God? It's like, God, did you really just send me here so that the Israelites would have to work harder so their lives would be more miserable? this some cruel trick? And, and then in chapter 6 he again asks, since I speak God with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? This is not a man of great faith or confident hope at this point in his life. And, and so what I want us to take from this, though, is to realize that they remind us that faith encourages questions. Okay? Faith encourages questions. I think sometimes we equate faith with the absence of questions. Right? But I want to suggest that faith encourages questions. Faith encourages dialogue with God. Seeking answers, seeking to understand. And faith keeps pointing us to God when we're not sure what's going on around us. So faith is not having all the answers. It's looking to God for answers. So once God answered all of Moses' questions, there came a point where, we're not told really Moses' thought process, but from the text, Moses stops questioning God. Uh, from chapter 7 through chapters, chapter 15, we, there's no more of these kind of statements. Moses now goes to Pharaoh, gives him the message, and, and demands that Pharaoh release uh, the, the Israelites. And he does so uh, with confidence. So somewhere along the line, Moses' mindset switched. He said, okay, God, you have answered my question. This is what you want me to do. 
and you believe that I can do it, you haven't made a mistake, I'm going to roll up my sleeves, I'm going to go and do what it is that you're telling me to do. And so all through the uh, ten plagues of, um, of Egypt, or ten plagues, Moses continues to go back to, to Pharaoh. But here's what I think Moses did have his confident hope in. He reached this point where he was convinced that God would do what he said he would do. Okay? That was his hope. He, he came to a point, remember I said a couple of weeks ago, I said, I don't even know if Moses knew God when he met him at the fiery bush. He'd been raised most of his life in Pharaoh's palace. And, and, so, and he says, God, tell me, what is your name? And God has to introduce himself. And, and so there's not much foundation for faith in the life of Moses. But by the time we get to the end of chapter 6, through all the conversations that he's had, he reached a point of saying, yes, I can trust, I can be confident that God will do what he said he would do. But, but that's, a, that's a process. That takes a realization to reach that point. It's not a given from the outset. And so we need to um, just recognize, I think, that, that it's not a switch that just flicks because we think it should in someone else or in ourselves. This is a process. So the next question I want us to consider is what does Moses see without seeing? Okay, do you remember our, our verse from Hebrews? Faith is being confident in what we hope for and seeing, being having assurance or being certain about what we cannot see or, or seeing what we cannot see. And so I think there are two slightly different things. That first one about being confident in what we hope for, as I understand that, it has to do with our relationship with God. Okay, can I trust God? Can I be confident in Him? Uh, can, can Moses trust him? But on the other, other side of that is also, what does he see without seeing? Because that's what we move towards. And, and so I'm, I'm going to sort of refer to that idea as vision. Moses had a vision of the people of God living um, free, <laughs> free of Egyptian slavery, living free in the promised land. He had a vision of them leaving Egypt. He had a vision of their destination. You see, not only was God confident that he would do what he promised, he had this picture in his head 
of what was going to happen. And, and God laid it out in chapter 6, and, and I will put, I've got this on the screen too. It's kind of small writing. But in Exodus chapter 6, God um, lays out a picture for Moses to pass on to the Israelites. But, but he, he, I think, I love that it's, uh, it is a picture. Oops, go back. I love that it's a picture. Uh, he says, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. And, and so we have this image here that he says, yeah, I'm going to bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I'm going to do it with mighty acts. There's going to be fireworks. Keep an eye out for those. And, and I'm going to show my strength and I'm going to bring you to the promised land. It's this promised land that I've um, promised to. The reason it's a promised land is I promised it to Abraham. I promised it to Isaac. I promised it to Jacob. I'm promising it to you and I will bring you there. And, and so Moses says, okay, I've got this picture. Okay, I don't just have to trust a God that's out there that I've been having conversations with. Now I have a picture of what this God's going to do, how he's going to use me, what my purpose is in, in coming to, to um, Pharaoh. Right? He's not just saying words to Pharaoh. He's saying, no, here's a plan. Here's a plan of action. And this is what's going to happen. Now, do you notice that God leaves out some things in this plan, in this vision, in this description? Right? There's no mention of the wilderness. <laughs> There's no mention of sleeping on the ground. No mention of being hungry. No mention of searching for water. No mention of there being armies and enemies around them. Right? But, but God says, Moses, here's the vision. Here's what I want you to see without seeing. Here's what I want you to have faith in. That you're going to leave slavery. And you're going to get to the promised land. Two-step plan. And, and so that is what Moses is able to buy into. And then, and then in, those, in those plagues, you say, God, this was so ingrained in Moses' head that he didn't just go to Pharaoh and say it once. Right? It was the ten times that he had to go there. And, and he, he has to go into the royal court of Egypt he has to stand before Pharaoh and he has to explain this vision that he has. Right? That, that Pharaoh, here's what's going to happen. Right? Oh, you don't believe it? Okay, water turns to blood. Water turns back to water. All right? Pharaoh, here's the vision. Here's what's going to happen. Oh, you don't believe it? Okay, frogs. Okay, frogs are gone. Pharaoh, here's the vision. Right? And, and he's trying to get Pharaoh to buy into this vision of what God is going to do. And Pharaoh keeps saying no. And, and Moses has to do it ten times. And, and, and don't you think it would have been easy for Moses to say, yeah, God, this isn't working. Can we just skip ahead? Right? I've gone three times, God. Right? Can we just skip to number ten? Or, or God, when are we going to get it? Because God didn't tell him it was going to be ten times. It could have been twenty times. Moses didn't know. 
And he kept going because he was motivated by this vision, by this belief that God would do what he said he would do and that he knew that God was going to free the Israelites and take them to the promised land. I think it was that vision that gave Moses the faith to keep going back to see Pharaoh. How many of us would have given up before then? Right? Right? Like, like we go, oh, the ten plagues. And it's like, no, if you had to go before the king ten times, trying to get something to happen, we might just give up on it. But Moses kept going. And in the end, Pharaoh came to see things God's way. And he did let God's people go. All right, so I want to uh, bring this back to us. And I want to ask ourselves the same questions that we ask Moses. For what do we confidently hope? If faith is a confidence in what we hope. For what do we confidently hope? Now, I think we could create a a really long list, right, of things that we confidently hope. Now, there might be another list of things that we just hope, right? And, And so there's one list of things we confidently hope and another list of things that we just And maybe another list of things that we wish, right? Um, But of things that we confidently hope. And I think that at the end of the day, our answer is going to come back to the same as Moses. But but before we get there, well, well, we might say, we want, we confidently hope that God will do what he says he'll do. I think that's the, the big picture answer. But that's a heading with a lot of different categories under it. Here's just a few that I put together. And and you can add or have different ones, that's fine. Um, But we may confidently hope when we pray, right, that he heals us. That that he loves us. That he forgives us. That he has new life for us. Um, that, That we can or will spend eternity with him. That death is a transition, not an end. That the world as we see it isn't the world that he made. We confidently hope in these promises that God has made to us. As I say, sometimes with less confidence than others. But but that's just a, a sample. God has made so many promises to us. And, and we, we want to trust him. About those. So we our confidence, our hope is that God will do what He said He will do. Remember that hope, this confidence, doesn't eliminate questions. And so there'll be times where we say, I have confident hope that God hears me when I pray. And then where we join in with the psalmist and we say, God, are you listening to me? God, have you heard me? God, have you remembered me? We, we go through these, these times. Now, God hasn't changed, but our confidence level has. And that's okay because that conversation is a demonstration of faith. 
Moses reminds us of those moments, of his questions. I don't want to spend all our time there. I want to keep moving and spend most of our time with this second question. What can we see without seeing? You see, it's one thing to hope in the promises of God. Right? Does God hear me? And we can, I hope most of us can say yes. I believe, I'm confident that God hears us when we pray. But then the, the next question is, is that's all good, but that hasn't changed the way that I live. Right? You see, God heard the people in Israel, uh, the people of Israel in Egypt. And, and we're told that, uh, where was it? In, at the end of chapter 4, it says, When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their ministry, they, their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Okay? So, so knowing and believing that God has heard, that God cares, that God sees, that prompts them to worship. Okay? Which is great. But it's not a vision. It's not seeing anything. They're worshipping because they're seen. But they still don't have a vision of them leaving slavery. In fact, they're the ones that tell Moses, Moses, you got it wrong. Okay? Because they don't have, they don't see what can't be seen. And, and so for us, what can we see without seeing? What's our vision? What vision? Perhaps a better question. Has God given us? I suspect that oftentimes when we look at the story of Moses, that we apply it to ourselves in this way. We think of Moses bringing Israel to the promised land, out of slavery to the promised land. We go, you know, that reminds me of something. That reminds me of Jesus bringing me out of the bondage of sin to eternal life, right? To the promise eternity. Right? And, and it's a similar movement. And, and it's not, right? I, and I understand why we do that. And it's a good one. I think that's part of the story. But I want you to think about Moses' vision. Moses' vision wasn't that God was going to free him from slavery and take him to the promised land. You see, Moses wasn't in slavery. When was Moses? Moses was living quite happily, married with kids, has flocks that is, you know, looking after, enjoying the sun out there in the um, Arabian desert and, uh, and, and feeding the sheep. That's where, where Moses is, well removed from Egypt. So Moses' vision wasn't about himself. Moses' vision of what God was going to do was about taking the Israelites and taking them to the promised land. So, so when we look at the story and we say, oh, I understand what's going on here. God is taking me from my place of despair to a place of eternal joy. That's part of the story. But, but that's not the story of Moses. The vision of Moses is bigger than that. It, it's not as 
individualistic. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. But first I want to look at at Jesus' vision in Luke chapter 9. And uh, this is, uh, we read, read this earlier. And Jesus is, uh, has just been announced by the Apostle Peter uh, by saying, you're the Messiah. Okay? They've, they've, they've got this confident hope that Jesus is the Messiah. After all these years of waiting for the Messiah, the promised Messiah, after going into the, the Israelites, going into exile, coming back to the promised land, and, and just waiting, and the Romans coming and ruling, and they're like, we have confident hope that the Messiah has arrived. And, and so, that, that's great. <laughs> and, and Jesus is, is thrilled that they have reached that point. And then in verse 21... Then Jesus says, okay, that's great. Don't tell anyone. Everybody needs to come to their own realization of this. And then he says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and must be killed on the third day and raised again. To life. Okay? It's kind of an instant down. And, and, but then you think, oh, so it's all about you. The vision of what's going to happen now. What you, you can see what can't be seen. You see the future. What's going to happen is you're going to die. You're going to suffer. You're going to be beaten, killed, and then raised to life. But he goes on and he says to them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life will save it. So he immediately transitions. And says, whoever wants to be saved. And so he's telling them what they have to do. The vision isn't just about him. Now the vision is for them. Now that you have this confident hope, let's talk about what it means to follow me. Let's talk about what it means to be saved. Let's talk about what it means to live in the kingdom of God, to be a follower of Jesus. And so his vision is bigger than himself. And I think like Moses, he had to convince himself that this was the path that he was choosing because it's not an easy one. But then he recognizes that the path is about more than himself. You see, if anyone had an excuse for a vision to focus simply on them going to heaven, it would be Jesus. You see, Jesus could have told his disciples, after he says, look, I'm going to die, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to be raised to life. The next thing he could have said is, and that's great, because I get to leave this human body, these bones and this flesh, I get to leave it behind, and I'm going to go back to the Father, and I'm going to sit on the throne of heaven where I belong, and I am so looking forward to that reunion, I can't wait for this to be over. You see, Jesus could have made it all about himself, couldn't he? He could have said, this is where I'm going. My purpose is to die and then get back to heaven. Because then I can be the the, the authoritarian. I can be the ruler. I can change things. I can make an impact. I can do what I want to do without all the restrictions of this body that I'm living in. But instead he says, no, I'm going to go and do this. And then if you want to follow me, if you want to be saved, if you want to experience the kingdom of God, then you need to come along as well. 
And so it's that bigger picture that he lives into and that we see that Moses lives into. Uh, think of the other place where Jesus lays out his vision for his time on earth um, is in Luke chapter 4. And in Luke 4, he says this, uh, starting in verse 18, he, he says, this is right at the beginning of his ministry, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me to proclaim the good news um, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I mean, don't take for granted how other-focused this vision is. Why are you here, Jesus? To make everybody else's life better. How many people do you know that you'll say, why are you here? And they'll say, to make everybody else's life better. Right? Yeah, I, yeah. I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the only one that has that attitude. <laughs> no, not even on my good days. Um, and, and so Jesus, though, says, that's my purpose. That's what I can see without seeing. And so what's our faith vision? What is our faith vision? What do we see without seeing? And so I think we have this challenge. Because can we see something for ourselves? If we say, what's, what's my faith vision? It's like, yeah, here's what God wants me to be doing. Here's what God has in store for me. Here's what, how God wants to bless me. Here's what God wants me to change. Here's how God wants me to be a better person. Here's heaven. Here's eternity. Here's forgiveness. This is, I'm, I'm getting a lot of stuff from following Jesus. And, and you know, that's all part of the story. Right? That's absolutely part of the story. Jesus died for you. God loves you as a person, as an individual. He knows who you are. He knows when a sparrow dies, he certainly cares about you. But I wonder, can we see something good? Something that God wants for those who are close to us. Those who are our family. Those who are our friends. Those that we love. Because if, my, if I can see something good for them, something that can't be seen, something that I can contribute to and introduce and lead them to. And that sort of makes sense, doesn't it? I want that for them. I want people that I care about to experience the blessings of God, the goodness of God. But Moses didn't just come back to Egypt to save his family. He wasn't let my family go. Jesus didn't come to earth to say, hey, I want the 12 apostles to be saved. I'm dying for them. And so I think the bigger faith question for us is who can we see or can we see something that God wants for people that we don't know? Can we see without seeing Something that God wants for people that we don't know. And, and we could 
look at different stories of different ministries, you know, churches that perhaps are, are saying, we're going to start this ministry to serve a population that we don't know, whether it be teaching English to, to migrants, feeding people that are hungry, giving financial counseling to people that are struggling. Are, are we able to say, yeah, I can see this happening. I can see God blessing people through us. I don't know them. I don't know what it's going to look like. But when I look at the way God has equipped me, with the, what God has given me, can I see something without seeing? That God is making things better. That God is leading in a particular direction. Our neighbors, our community, our schools, and even beyond our borders around the world. It's why I love our missions ministry. Because it expands our horizons. And, and, you know, one of the things that I, I really struggle with is when we pray, for instance, for the church in Mozambique. And we pray for the Westerholm family. And, and we, we've met them. They've come here. We talk about them. And uh, we got an update from uh, Chad this week. And the, the violence uh, has sort of moved further down, closer to them. And... They're starting to talk about if they'll have to evacuate at some point. And so, you know, we, we want to pray for their safety. But you know what? There's like hundreds of small churches in that area that are our brothers and sisters that we don't know their names, that, that perhaps don't have the same opportunities to evacuate. That, that, that are we praying for them as much? Do we care about them as much as we do for the people that we know? Can we see without seeing that God has a plan for them, that God's working in their lives and that we can be part of it, that we can contribute to it? You see, having a vision prompts us to action. If all we have is confident hope, but we don't see what we can't be seen, then we're going to spend a lot of time sitting on our hands. And so I would think one of the best ways to develop a faith vision, to grow our faith. I mean, obviously, being around people of faith, spending time with in, in God's Word and in prayer and asking difficult questions, there's lots of things we can do. But, but in this idea of seeing what we cannot see, I think our faith will grow if we ask ourselves this really simple question. What's the best? You see, I suspect that, that what our human nature often prompts us to ask is, hey, there's this opportunity, there's this door, there's these there's, there's people that, that I know that are going through hardship, but, but what's the worst that could happen? What if it goes wrong? What if we fail? You know? What if Pharaoh just you know, strikes down Aaron and Moses is left on his own and he has to run back into the Midian desert again? Right? What if... The Israelites get to the Dead Sea and the army comes behind them and they've got nowhere to go and, and, and they're slaughtered there uh, uh, on the Red Sea. And they're slaughtered there on the shores of the Red Sea. What if Jesus comes to earth? What if he goes to the cross? And what if nobody responds and people forget about him and he just died and nobody became a Christian? What's the worst that could happen? But Jesus, we're told, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, says that Jesus endured the cross. Why? 
for the joy that was set before him. You know what that tells me? It tells me that Jesus was asking the question, what's the best that could happen? The best that could happen is that I'm going to die. The people are going to follow me. The people are going to repent. The people are going to want to be with God. The people will will ask to be saved. People will ask to be forgiven. People will change their lives. They will capture this vision of making the world a different place, of defeating death, of overcoming evil, of, of bringing in peace, and that the kingdom of God can be real, that the kingdoms of the earth that hurt and oppressed, that they can be defeated. And he says, this is what is the best that could happen. And it changes. The vision changes because the question changes. What did the apostles do? They ran away and hid. Why'd they do that? Because they're asking, what's the worst that could happen? You see, what they could see, what couldn't be seen, was only their own deaths by the Romans because Jesus was killed. And Jesus could see what couldn't be seen. He saw a globe that was transformed. As people came to know God as his kingdom spread. That, that is faith. And so as individuals and as a church, we seek to grow our vision of faith. Not just for ourselves as to say, oh, well, I can do so much. God can do so much for me. But, but we as individuals, we as a church, there is so much that we can do to transform the world around us. To grow our vision to what's possible. Seeing not only what God is doing around us, but what God wants to do. And then moving towards those opportunities with a mindset, asking ourselves, because God is on our side, what's the best that could happen?